This is section fifty five of Mark Twain, a biography, volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter one hundred and fifty nine. The Life of the Pope. As Mark Twain, in the earlier days of his marriage, had temporarily put aside authorship to join in a newspaper venture, so now again literature had dropped into the background, had become an avocation, while financial interests prevailed. There were two chief ventures, the business of Charles L. Webster and Company, and the promotion of the Page typesetting machine. They were closely identified in fortunes, so closely that in time the very existence of each depended upon the success of the other. Yet they were quite distinct, and must be so treated in this story. The success of the Grant life had given the Webster business an immense prestige. It was no longer necessary to seek desirable features for publication. They came uninvited other war generals preparing their memoirs naturally hoped to appear with their great commander mcclellan's own story was arranged for without difficulty a genesis of the civil war by general samuel wiley crawford was offered and accepted general sheridan's memoirs were in preparation and negotiations with webster and company for their appearance were not delayed Probably neither Webster nor Clemens believed that the sale of any of these books would approach those of the Grant life, but they expected them to be large, for the Grant book had stimulated the public taste for war literature, and anything bearing the stamp of personal battle experience was considered literary legal tender. Moreover, these features, and even the Grant book itself, seemed likely to dwindle in importance by the side of the life of Pope leo the thirteenth who in his old and enfeebled age had consented to the preparation of a memoir to be published with his sanction and blessing by bernard o'reilly d d l l d written with the encouragement approbation and blessings of his holiness the pope clemens and webster every one in fact who heard of the project united in the belief that no book with the exception of the holy scripture itself or the koran would have a wider acceptance than the biography of the pope it was agreed by good judges and they included howells and twichell and even the shrewd general agents throughout the country that every good catholic would regard such a book not only as desirable but as absolutely necessary to his salvation howells recalling clemens emotions of the time writes he had no words in which to paint the magnificence of the project or to forecast its colossal success it would have a currency bounded only by the number of catholics in christendom it would be translated into every language which was anywhere written or printed it would be circulated literally in every country of the globe the formal contract for this great undertaking was signed in rome in april eighteen eighty six and webster immediately prepared to go over to consult with his holiness in person as to certain details also no doubt for the newspaper advertising which must result from such an interview it was decided to carry a handsome present to the pope in the form of a specially made edition of the grant memoirs in a rich casket and it was clemens's idea that the binding of the book should be solid gold this to be done by tiffany at an estimated cost of about three thousand dollars 
in the end however the binding was not gold but the handsomest that could be designed of less precious and more appropriate materials webster sailed toward the end of june and was warmly received and highly honored in rome the great figures of the grant success had astonished europe even more than america where the spectacular achievements were more common that any single publication should pay a profit to author and publisher of six hundred thousand dollars was a thing which belonged with the wonders of aladdin's garden it was natural therefore that webster who had rubbed the magic lamp with this result who was mark twain's partner and who had now traveled across the seas to confer with the pope himself should be received with royal honors in letters written at the time webster relates how he found it necessary to have an imposing carriage and a footman to maintain the dignity of his mission and how after various impressive formalities he was granted a private audience a very special honor indeed webster's letter gives us a picture of his holiness which is worth preserving we mrs webster who the reader will remember was annie moffat a daughter of pamela clemens was included in the invitation to the presence chamber found ourselves in a room perhaps twenty-five by thirty-five feet the furniture was gilt upholstered in light red silk and the side walls were hung with the same material against the wall by which we entered and in the middle space was a large gilt throne chair upholstered in red plush and upon it sat a man bowed with age his hair was silvery white and as pure as the driven snow his head was partly covered with a white skull-cap he was dressed in a long white cassock which reached to his feet which rested upon a red plush cushion and were enclosed in red embroidered slippers with the design of a cross a golden chain was about his neck and suspended by it in his lap was a gold cross set in precious stones upon a finger of his right hand was a gold ring with an emerald setting nearly an inch in diameter his countenance was smiling and beamed with benevolence his face at once impressed us as that of a noble pure man who could not do otherwise than good this was the pope of rome and as we advanced making the three genuflections prescribed by etiquette he smiled benignly upon us we advanced and kneeling at his feet kissed the seal upon his ring he took us each by the hand repeatedly during the audience and made us perfectly at our ease they remained as much as half an hour in the presence and the pope conversed on a variety of subjects including the business failure of general grant his last hours and the great success of his book the figures seemed to him hardly credible and when webster assured him that already a guaranteed sale of one hundred thousand copies of his own biography had been pledged by the agents he seemed even more astonished we in italy cannot comprehend such things he said i know you do great work in america i know you have done a great and noble work in regard to general grant's book but that my life should have such a sale seems impossible he asked about their home their children 
and was in every way the kindly, gentle-hearted man that his pictured face has shown him, then gave them his final blessing, and the audience closed. We each again kissed the seal on his ring. As Annie was about to kiss it, he suddenly withdrew his hand and said, And will you, a little Protestant, kiss the Pope's ring? As he said this, his face was all smiles, and mischief was clearly delineated upon it. He immediately put back his hand, and she kissed the ring. We now withdrew, backing out and making three genuflections as before. And just as we reached the door, he called to Dr. O'Reilly, Now don't praise me too much. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. End of chapter 159 The Life of the Pope Read by John Greenman, 